Hey, welcome to another episode of Radical Jesus with Ben Deaver. Uh, we've been in this series for a while now. Now, seriously, we're in a polarized world, right? Divided world, you could think of it be between two ferns, pulled in either direction on all these topics we've been hitting. Vaccinations, <laughs> politics, left and right, women in the church, refugees, immigrants, all the things. Um, so I'm either, I'm either, hey, there we go, there we go. Hey, I'm out of time, but since I already played this, you got to get the full experience. There we go. Hi. Oh, okay. I mean, his his entrances are awkward anyway, so it's all maybe it's all part of the show. So I'm either Zach Galifianakis from Between Two Ferns or a Southern Baptist preacher on on Easter. So, all right. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome to Tallgrass at the Well. Each week we've been raising the heat and just addressing the cultural issues that we're facing, that people are talking about, but maybe not many churches are talking about. Actually, as I've thought about it, I don't, I don't know that we're actually raising the heat as much as just pointing out the heat that is existing in our culture, in our society. So last week I thought, you know, really this sermon series is about pointing out hornet's nests. We're not even kicking the hornet's nest. We're just pointing out, hey, this topic, that topic. These are things that are, are they're stirred up and they're dangerous in our society, in our culture today. So each and every talk that we've been, we've been uh, tackling uh, could take entire sermon series just to, to dive into what the Bible has to say about the topics and how we can carve out a path forward to follow the radical way of Jesus Together, So I just want to acknowledge that, just recognize that um, ooh, we got the volume is, I mean, I guess you're, that's in fitting with the Between the Two Ferns, right? They have all sorts of technical issues. Um, if you haven't seen it before, don't go watch it. So, so yes, we're pointing out these hornet's nests, and we're basically saying we as a church, Tallgrass at the Well, we want to acknowledge what, what real people are facing out there in real life. Not that we know all the answers, but we want to begin to chart a, a path of wisdom and courage to follow the radical way of Jesus as it pertains to our lives um, in the day-to-day. So when you see this topic, I want to ask you, what comes to mind? What comes to mind when you see these topics, mental health and spiritual warfare? And we're going to fly through high level to really think about mental health, and spiritual warfare. So if, you're, if you take notes, or maybe you could begin taking notes, what comes to mind? What questions immediately emerge? What face do you put on the words mental health? Maybe you have an aunt who's a little crazy who comes to mind, and you're like, yeah, I know what mental health is. It's what she deals with. Or maybe you think, oh, I, I have mental health challenges I don't know what to do with. What comes to mind when you think of uh, spiritual warfare? Oh yeah, I know someone who's way into spiritual warfare. They see a demon behind every bush. It could be that kind of thing. 
Or maybe you're fired up and you're, you're pouring your, your heart out in your own uh, prayer closet and battling uh, because there's a spiritual battle all around us. So just kind of take your own pulse on, on this, these two topics, mental health and spiritual warfare. And if even the fact that we are talking about this on a Sunday morning with, at a church, if, if there's an immediate action step that comes to mind, you're like, well, oh, I stepped foot in here and we're talking about this and I know my next step. Just write that down. As soon as we're done, tell a trusted friend and take that next step. Even if it's just a small, small step. So we want to help one another understand these topics that, that are out there that we're all engaged with at some level. And the spiritual warfare one's interesting because um, practically in our culture, there's almost a disinterest in the supernatural or spirituality um, that, that's deep and meaningful. But yet there's a, an extreme fascination in the media, right? I mean, I think of the, the show Stranger Things. Great show. My daughter's pulling off Nancy just fine this morning. But there's this fascination with the supernatural, the otherworldly, stranger things. But yet when push comes to shove, there's almost a functional or practical atheism, even sometimes within the church. I mean, how's your prayer life? As an example, if, it, if your prayer life is struggling, that kind of shows that your, your, your engagement with the spiritual realm is maybe a, a bit meager. So as we, we continue this morning... This is all just take a deep breath. Just, just settle yourself in. We're going to turn to Matthew 4, 23 to 25, our, our key verse, key few verses. Now I'm going to read from the NASB, uh, New American Standard Bible. They did a revamp in 2020. I typically have read from ESV. Um, Josh, uh, during his talk on women in the church, address some translational issues. So it's, it's really interesting uh, as we're exploring tall grass at the well, um, some of these things we need to explore, right? What are we gonna do even for Bible translation? Because he, he goes from NIV, I've been using ESV, which I've been looking for another translation. That's neither here nor there. Just to mention that this one passage I am gonna um, read out of the NASB, uh, the 2020 new, new revision. So let's look in at Jesus and his way. It says, Jesus was going about in all of Galilee. He was teaching in their synagogues. He was proclaiming the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. So what came with that good news? It says, and he was healing every disease and every sickness among the people. And the news about him, it spread throughout Syria. And they brought to him all who were ill, ill those who are suffering with various diseases, those with severe pain, the demon-possessed, people with epilepsy, people who were paralyzed, and he healed them all. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. The good news was global in nature. It actually ended up going far beyond the Jordan, even to here where we sit, uh, the end of the earth, so this is really, I think, a story about Jesus and his grace and his competency in helping people heal from all sorts of ailments that we face as humans. 
So we've been uh, quoting a verse together each week as we go through this series and tackle these difficult topics. So I invite you to quote this with me, Isaiah 48. And I'm gonna, we'll try it without even putting it up there. See how you guys do. I'll, I'll remind you, it starts with the grass withers. You guys ready? The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Good job. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this morning. Thank you that we can gather here. We've carved out this time and, and we can do many things. We can sing to you in response to what you've done on our behalf. We can uh, acknowledge and celebrate the leadership within our church. We can, we can laugh, we can joke, we can dress up and have fun and have conversations. But we know that, that each of us carries burdens and hurts and pains. Some of us have, have trauma in our lives that we, don't, we can't even put our finger on that needs uh, a skilled hand to help us take the next step. So I pray even this morning, these, these, these few moments together, that you would give us wisdom in your word, that you would give us courage to take whatever the next right step is for us personally, that you would help us create that church culture that is good, that is tove, as Josh had mentioned last week, that we would be a people who can meet one another with grace and competency to help us on our path towards healing. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. So in our passage here, I want you to just think about this. So we've read these passages probably hundreds of times if you've been in the church, and if it's new to you, great. We're so glad you're here. People are bringing to Jesus all who were ill, those afflicted with various diseases, severe pain, demon possession, people with epilepsy, people who are paralyzed. Notice the complexity of the issues with which Jesus engaged. And notice the, the, the paradigm of the New Testament authors, that they actually could discern the difference between what was ailing people. Some of these issues were enmeshed in spiritual warfare. Some of them were physical by nature, right? And as we learn, as we dive into the biblical perspective, there is a very real spiritual enemy and his minions that we face that have had a very real impact on the world into which we're born. So there is a lot going on here. So first we need to understand the complexity of human condition, including mental health, and the complexity of the spiritual realm. And we live in both, we're embodied souls. So the New Testament authors are able to understand and distinguish between what's happening. And Jesus himself, if you see the way he heals, doesn't always do it the same. It's not always in the same timing. And when he, uh, he leaves and he says, you're gonna do greater works than these, and yet then Christians build hospitals and they, they're at the front edge of modern science, right? So the way in which Jesus interacts with the variegated human issues that we face um, is, is with great grace, care, and competency. So I want to look at, at one mental health epidemic that we face. So if you think of this list of all of the issues facing uh, Jesus and his followers, and he was healing them of all of them, I want to just zero in briefly on one that we face today in modern America, 21st century, and that is suicide. So we live in the most affluent society ever. 
We have the choice of what we want to eat. We have modern medicine. We've got all the self-help books, all, the, all of this stuff, right? So you would think we would progress, that we'd be smart enough and we'd have figured it out enough that we wouldn't take our own lives, sort of the epitome of a mental health crisis gone awry. So we're gonna look at some data uh, from the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. And this is, uh, just they highlight suicide is a public health problem. Yeah, it's, it's a public health problem that they say can be prevented. More investment in suicide prevention, education, and research will prevent the untimely death of thousands of Americans each year so these, these stats I'm gonna highlight are uh, from 2019 unless otherwise noted. And as we read these, I want you to just ask yourself, do you think a global pandemic has exacerbated these stats or actually helped people move towards a healthier new normal? There's a few stats. So 47,511 Americans died by suicide 2019, making it the 10th leading cause of death. So in all the lists of the ways in which Americans might die, suicide is number 10. But it's the second leading cause of death for ages 10 to 34. And the stats for the girls are higher than for the boys for a variety of reasons. Um, Namely, they think social media and the impact the way girls tend to engage with social media versus guys. This stat's very important to us as a church and to me as a father. Because, you know, I have a 12-year-old daughter who has friends, and some of you do as well. So this is an, this is an issue. This is an issue that I, I, we need to talk about. We need to be able to think about grace and competency and, how, and what it has to say about mental health and spiritual warfare. It's the fourth leading cause of death for ages 35 to 44. That's important to me. I'm a 40-year-old guy. So this is the fourth way, statistically speaking, that my life could end. Another stat, 36.6% of people who died by suicide were 55 or older. I care about that because I have some friends who are over 55 that I want to be intentional with and, and, and understand what they're dealing with and bring them, yes, bring them to Jesus and ask Jesus, what's the pathway of discernment for hope and healing so it's interesting, we talked about immigration and refugees, you know, and briefly highlight there's fear about, you know, well, what if someone comes here and they end up being a terrorist? But statistically speaking, this is a much bigger deal than an, an immigrant or a refugee coming over here and harming someone. This is a big deal. Fly through some, a lot of these, um, all of these stats are available on uh, the website, we'll have all of this here. But I wanted to highlight this. In 2019, suicide rate was 1.5 times higher for veterans than for non-veteran adults over the age of 18. Important stat for us here because Fort Riley is right next door and we have soldiers who are coming here. And so we best lean in and ask, ask God, how do you want us as a church to engage with this epidemic that we face? Kansas is in the top third um, statistically. So you'd think here in the heartland, we got it good. But we're in the top third in the country, suicide rate. So this I'll take another deep breath in. You can let that out. 
So there's a battle for life and death right here in our own state, our own town, in our own homes. Just to continue on this path a little, remember this guy? I was 13 years old when Kurt Cobain uh, killed himself via, you know, through a shock. And that, that impacted me as a young person because this guy had it all. Wealth, fame, all of the things. Yet he took his life. Then not long ago, 2014, seven years ago, this, this rocked my world. Robin Williams hung himself. The guy, Mork and Mindy, remember? Some of you guys remember him? Hilarious guy. But yet he came to the conclusion that he would rather end it all than continue. That one hit really close to home for me because just eight days later, my own father made an attempt on his life when he was 57. You know, the stats say when a high-profile high celebrity takes their life, it, it has an impact on the statistics for, for a time. And so my, I asked, my, my dad said I could share some of his story, and he has shared it at, at our, our guys group, um, uh, at one of our campouts. He shared it at different churches. So he's, he, he survived. This picture was taken in Israel at the Western Wall two years after uh, he made this attempt on his life. But his story, I think, represents this co-mingling between mental health and spiritual warfare that creates this toxic combination that's sometimes very hard to get underneath and to discern that pathway. My dad had been doing all the things. He was a pastor of a church. He was fastidious in his Bible reading and prayer. He was, he was locked in on the spiritual disciplines. He had been going to counseling for years. He had been taking an antidepressant for years prior to this. All the things, he was pursuing that. And yet, the battle around his life and the mental health issues he faced almost ended his life. Praise God it didn't. So there's this, this, this scene in, in my life. Uh, this was about a week after he made that attempt. And I'm visiting him at a mental health facility in Newton, Kansas, called Prairie View. And he just asks, hey, can you play that song, There is a Balm in Gilead? That's his favorite hymn. And uh, so I went to the piano. You guys know that one? There is a balm in Gilead that heals a sin-sick soul. Yeah. And I, I heard in, in him and his uh, confusion and the mental state and the battle raging around his life, where else do you go but to Christ, the balm in Gilead? Now, the verse we read talked about they were bringing people from beyond the Jordan. That's where Gilead is, east of the Jordan. And there is a balm in Gilead. Christ wants to meet people in the complexity of their issues. Let's take a quick high view look at spiritual warfare and what the scriptures say about that. And we'll probably be flying here. Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, and he's the one who frames it up uh, very clearly in, in, in warfare language. He says, finally, to the, the church in Ephesus, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God so you can stand against the schemes of the devil. So we don't wrestle, wrestle against flesh and blood. Our enemy is not flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. 
So if we think humanity is complex and our physical being is complex, I assure you there's a complexity of the spiritual realm as well. And so Paul is trying to help them understand how to engage with that. He says, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. The song we sang earlier, uh, this is how I fight my battles. I'm surrounded. There's this, this story where that song comes from where Elijah and his servant, they're, they're, they're facing uh, uh, overwhelming odds in battle. And then Elijah, the, the servant says, uh, he rises early and he sees all the horses and chariots, the physical battle that's raging around them. So you think about that physical battle, you can also think about uh, the, the internal battles that we face, you know, within ourselves. He says, alas, my master, what shall we do? And then Elijah, he has the, the correct perspective of the spiritual realm. He says, do not be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And he prayed, Lord, open their eyes, open his eyes so that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So yes, there's a battle that rages around us, but God is the strong one, and we still have to engage with, within the physical realm of this battle, for sure. Just another uh, look to give perspective on this battle. This is at the end of uh, the Bible in Revelation. Uh, this is a, a vision of the future that John receives. It says, now war arose in heaven. Michael and his angels, they're fighting against the dragon. The dragon and his angels fought back. He was defeated. There's no longer any place for them in heaven. The great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So the, 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 the spiritual battle is not, not fought. Um, it's not like Satan is coming at us with, pickaxes and, and guns. He's coming at us with ideas. It's a battle for the mind. He is the deceiver. Revelation 12, at the very end here, look at verse 12. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, but woe to you, O earth and sea. That's us still, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows his time is short. So there is a real enemy. And I think when you look at suicide statistics and the fact that we have all the things that would lead us to health, wealth, and prosperity, but yet people are still taking their lives, something else is going on. There's more than meets the eye. And in modern society, you know, this, this interest in, in evil, is it right or wrong? Is there a real devil? You know, that, that, that interest was waning until World War II and the Holocaust? And how else do you explain the level of wickedness and evil if there's not something much greater behind it? So Paul tells us how to engage in this spiritual battle. He says, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Again, notice this is a battle of ideas, falsehoods against truth. Fasten on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness as for 
Shoes for your feet, put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Take up the shield of faith with, with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, the word of God. And how do you wield that word? Praying at all times in the spirit with supplication and prayer. A battle for the mind. In Paul's letter to the, to the Romans, he says, don't be conformed to the, the patterns of this world, the way in which the world thinks, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So you may prove what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So the devil himself, he's at war with humanity. He hates humanity. Why does he hate humanity? Well, God has made us in his image. God has given us stewardship of the earth. God has made us his representatives on earth. And somehow the, the devil is, is adamantly opposed to God and to us. Yet he is incredibly intelligent, right? He's been observing human behavior for thousands of years. And so he knows how to get in there and speak untruth to your mind, right? Remember uh, the story of Job, where God actually allowed uh, Satan to uh, engage with Job's physical body, right? Yet Job remained steadfast and true. So if we think again about our story here, All of the ailments that we face, it's all, it's all mixed together, right? We are embodied souls. So remember Paul, uh, in, he encouraged Timothy. Um, he said, take a little wine for your stomach and your frequent ailments. So Paul, at times, he instructed Timothy, take a little medicine. At that time, wine would have been medicine. So sometimes you pray for it and there's some deliverance and there's some healings, but there's also this category of getting professional medical help. Luke, um, he was referred to by Paul as the beloved physician. He was known as a physician. Now, when he came to faith in Christ and as Christ was doing miracles, did that mean he stopped being a physician? No, he continued to engage um, as a physician, helping people understand um, the, the pathway of growth and healing. So I want to quote uh, from a book kind of called Finding Quiet. This is uh, by J.P. Moreland. He's a uh, Christian scholar. And this is about his story of overcoming anxiety and the practices that brought him peace. And it kind of addresses the, the cynicism that some within the church have about um, psych, psychiatric practice and help and, and medication. So I'll just, I'll just read this to you from uh, J.P. Moreland. So he says, the disciplines of psychiatry, or psychiatry and psychology are widely rejected by evangelicals. As one Christian leader put it, true psychology, the study of the soul, can be done only by Christians, since only Christians have the resources for the understanding and the transformation of the soul, since the secular discipline of psychology is based on godless assumptions and evolutionary foundations, it is capable of dealing with people only superficially and only on the temporal level. Scripture is the manual for all soul work. So ask yourself, is that your perspective?
he goes on to say, in stark contrast to the approach, consider the words of John Wesley. I know uh, the well is a Wesleyan church, kind of from John Wesley's lineage. And um, this is what John Wesley says, to imagine none can teach you but those who are themselves saved from sin is a very great and dangerous mistake. Give not place to it for a moment. In valuing extra biblical knowledge, our brothers and sisters throughout church history were merely following common sense and scripture itself. And then he highlights how scripture repeatedly acknowledges the wisdom of cultures outside of Israel. And there'll be lists of this in my, in my notes. Acknowledging the wisdom that was found in Egypt from the Edomites, the Phoenicians, the achievements produced by human wisdom acknowledged in Job, uh, the reputation of wisdom of others compared to Solomon's wisdom, and Jesus' careful reflection on nature as the basis for loving one's enemies rather than even looking at the Old Testament in that case. This is important to our conversation about mental health and spiritual warfare. He says we can and must cultivate a Christian approach to anxiety and depression. But in that tilling and cultivating that approach, we may also include the study of extra biblical knowledge and supplements and, uh, that supplements and does not contradict scripture. So as a church, we want to address some of what I would argue is spiritual abuse. Just throwing scripture at people and saying, just believe this and you will be okay. Just think happy thoughts and you will be okay. No, there is a wealth of wisdom and knowledge out, outside of the scripture itself that can be helpful in our journey towards mental health. And the scriptures themselves affirm that wisdom and that knowledge. So when Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, with all your strength in other places, and he says this is the first and greatest commandment, we need a lot of help in loving God with all that we are. I think about my own journey, my own story. For me to love the Lord my God with all of my strength, I need help that I find even outside of Scripture. To love God with all of my mind, I need help at times. And for me, for the first time in my life at age 40, I, I finally went to see a, a licensed therapist. Um, and I've had the category for, for mental and emotional help for a long time, but been resistant to it. But I came to this point. I need help, and it's okay. God has made me an embodied soul, and there's wisdom outside even, the scriptures themselves say. Kind of flying here. I know we're gonna take the Lord's Supper here shortly. I wanna, um, another, story, another time. Another time on that. Um, just quickly highlight some application for us as a church before we, we go to the Lord's Supper. So as you, as you think about this and you hear this, um, first of all, to take a step, you have to decide that there's an issue. A couple weeks ago, Sarah uh, highlighted the story of the man who's sitting by the water and Jesus like, do you want to be healed? Like, are you actually in pain that there's an issue that needs to be addressed? And so for some people, that is the next step, is to say, look to your spouse or to, to say to a friend, like, I have an issue, I need help. 
That is a huge step. And then, then to discern what is the work ahead in conversation with a trusted friend or a spouse or, or uh, some of the pastors in the church to, to begin that process of discernment. Is this a matter of just, hey, you need to pray more and get in the scriptures. Like that's, an, that's your issue. Or maybe there is a chemical imbalance or maybe there's trauma that you faced growing up or maybe there's an experience you had um, when you were serving overseas in the military or something like, and you need discernment with what is that pathway? What is the pathway towards healing? We want to meet each other for sure with grace and say, you know, God loves you, I love you, I wanna be present with you, but also develop competency to help one another discern what is that next right step towards your own healing, your mental health. And then after discerning the work, you actually have to do the work. A lot of times we get stuck on the discernment. Hey, I got the book. I'm reading the book. I've listened to the podcast. I can quote the podcast. I know the categories. You know, I know my tendency as an Enneagram one and how I'm wired and how this, that, and the other from my childhood impacts me. Well, now I need to do the work. And not just hide behind the idea that, you know, hurt people hurt people, which I've said for so long. Actually, there can be significant healing, not total healing, but we can experience significant healing so that we can actually help one another. So do the work might be actually go see the counselor and follow through with what they say. Actually, if it, if it might be medication, actually take that step if needed. Could be something else, but actually do the work. And then finally, we wanna call others uh, into this. So disciple others to do the same. So we wanna, as a church, we wanna create that culture where we can meet people who walk through the doors, not just be a smiling face and shake the hand and smile and say, Jesus loves you, go in peace, uh, but if you have a real issue, we don't know what to do with that. We want to actually know how to guide and direct and help people get the help that they need. So we've worked for a while now on this, um, this counseling resource page at tallgrass.church counseling. On there, you'll find a recommended local counselor, counselors list that has been updated as recently as yesterday. And it may take you some time. You may need to call a few different counselors and see who might be the right fit for you in this season, if that's a step you need to take. I used to say, and I used to think that 95% of our issues that we face as humans could be uh, engaged with effectively within Christian community, like a group. I think that percentage is way lower. I think that, th that Satan has wreaked so much havoc in this world that we need way more help. I, I need coaches to help me uh, with my physical help. Periodically, I may need a therapist. I need a soul care provider. I need friends. I need a lot of help, and that's okay. We need to normalize getting the help required to help us take those next steps. We wanna create a, a, a healthy, safe culture. We're inviting others into that as well. So I'm gonna invite the band up here and we'll take the Lord's Supper shortly. But what if, 
let's just think about this and maybe some are wrestling with some of the things I said and we really need to think deeply about what the scriptures say about spiritual warfare and what, how do we bring help and care to the real issues that we face and, and what does that look like? But what if we were known as a place to find hope and healing for a variety of mental health issues? If people said, hey, over there at Tallgrass at the Well, they care about your mental and emotional and spiritual health. And they will meet you with grace and competency, not perfectly, but they will help you get connected with good resources and good people to help you make significant headway on your journey towards healing. And then you'll be able to begin offering grace and competency to others who are in need of hope and healing. So there it is, the beginning, pointing out that hornet's nest of mental health, spiritual warfare that we face. Next week, racism. I invite you all to stand with me and we're gonna say the Apostles' Creed together. Just as an anchor, this creed has been said for hundreds of years within the church and it, it, it states the truth about who Christ is, the person and work of Jesus Christ. So will you say this with me? I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So as we come to the, the Lord's Supper, and uh, when, when you're ready, you'll just come down the middle aisles. If you've, uh, if you've found that Jesus is that balm in Gilead, even if you've never heard that song, but you know he is your ultimate hope, for restoration of relationship to the Father and that he wants you to experience healing even this side of eternity. I invite you to come and on the night that he was crucified, he took the, the bread and he said, this is my body broken for you, eat of it. And he took the cup, he said, this is my blood shed for you, drink of it. In Isaiah 53, it says this, and you can close your eyes and I'll just uh, reflect on, on Christ on the cross. It says he was despised, he was rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows. He was acquainted with grief. Somehow he can meet us in our depression, our anxiety. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. He was lonely, especially on the night when he was crucified. It says, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Father, thank you for the sacrifice of your son on our behalf. 
I pray that you would bring significant hope and healing to many through, uh, through your work here at Tallgrass at the Well. We love you and we're, we're grateful. In Christ's name we pray, amen. This teaching was recorded in partnership between Tallgrass Community Church and The Well. For more resources like this, visit tallgrass.church and thewellmhk.com.